Hey guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Pool Cleaner Hour. I'm your host, Tinkerbuff, as always, and for the next little bit, I'll be talking to you about some various things and various stuffs as you relax in your mind's pool to heat up or cool down. Either way, it's your choice. It's your pool. I'm just here to make it cozy. In 1726, a poor, illiterate woman named Mary Toft held London in the grip of mysticism. She had fooled the city's finest doctors, scientists, and even the king into firmly believing that she could give birth to rabbits. With horrified and baffled spectators, Mary Toft would demonstrate this grotesque oddity 17 times. Now today we can acknowledge that this was an absurdity, and even pass it off as a wild event to quickly tell at a party. Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess, I guess you... Yeah, it could just be me. And people like me who don't mind getting the outrageous stares when you accidentally pop off something out of pocket. Like, hey, did you hear about this lady that was accused of birthing rabbits and they came out in pieces? Uh, but anyway, Karen Harvey, who's a historian at the University of Birmingham, also thinks we should talk a little bit more about Mary Toft. She was a poor woman who was caught up in a power struggle between powerful men, a woman who lost authority over her body in the process, and a story that says a great deal about its time and place. Karen goes on to say, The idea is absurd. We know it's absurd, but when you think about it, it is quite a ghastly story. Karen Harvey began teaching Toff's case to her undergraduate history students, and soon realized this wasn't just a quick fun fact or a weird quirky story. Karen Harvey dug into Mary's confessions, which can be found today at the University of Glasgow. It was here that the scholar was struck by how much distress Mary clearly appeared to be in, and how explicitly she articulated the pain of the whole process. Rather than a master manipulator, Mary Toft appeared to have been exploited herself. In one of her confessions, she even states, All along it wasn't me. It wasn't my idea. There are women who put me up to it. Mary Toft was born as Mary Dinier in 1703 in Galdeming, just about 40 miles from London. Galdeming was one of the poorest areas in the county, and at 17, Mary would marry the wool textile worker Joshua Toft, who was 18, and they soon had two children. Every morning, Mary would walk two hours to labor in a hops flower field, like many in this time, and her life was a repetitive and often grueling peasant nightmare. Mary was 25 when she delivered the first monstrosity. It was September 27th, 1726, and she had miscarried the month before, which was incredibly common because these were pregnant peasants who were required to continue working in the fields all the way up until delivering the baby, sometimes in the field. Reportedly, Mary then, however, delivered several lumps of flesh, which may have been a malformed placenta, but this latest birth did not appear to be human at all. Mary's family called upon the local obstetrician John Howard, who helped her deliver what he described as three legs of a cat of a tabby color and one leg of a rabbit. The guts were of a cat's, and inside these guts were three pieces of the backbone eel. Entranced by what seemed to be a supernatural occurrence, Dr. Howard wrote to England's most revered doctors and scientists, as well as the secretary of King George I. The monarch sent two men to investigate, Nathaniel St. Andre, his Swiss surgeon anatomist, and Samuel Molyneux, the Prince of Wales secretary. Mary was moved from Galdeming to a larger town of Guildford, where Dr. Howard worked. 
Whenever Mary delivered a rabbit, Dr. Howard promptly pickled it and placed it in a jar on a shelf in his study. During one horrifying day, Mary would deliver nine dead baby rabbits. Now the nobleman sent by the king arrived on November 15th to learn that Mary had just gone into labor and her 15th dead rabbit had come out. Nathaniel St. Andre and Molyneux then witnessed the births of a couple more. Examination of the bunnies suggested, as one should reasonably expect, that they could not have originated in Mary Toff's body. One's stomach contained remnants of hay and grass. Some appeared to be fetuses, while others were close to three months old. But St. Andre was just thrilled by the possibility and he explained things away, reasoning that the rabbits were delivered dead and in some cases in pieces because obviously the contractions of labor, which like, <laughs> just he's, he's just trying to explain it away and I have to feel like, Samuel Molyneux, his, his, his travel buddy, just had to be side-eyeing him like, bro, bro, come on, what are you doing? Uh, all the same, though, Nathaniel St. Andre took a pickled rabbit back to the king, because that's, that's what a king's going to want. By way of explanation, though, Mary Toft said that she had been startled by a rabbit while working in the field. Now, this notion, it complies with a theory that was quite popular at the time. This was called maternal impression, which attempted to explain birth defects and other congenial disorders. And like uh, Joseph Merrick, the elephant man, he actually used this to explain his own condition, which was a lot further uh, closer to our timeline. Uh, he claimed that his mother was startled by an elephant while pregnant with him. Uh, so it was, it was popular all the way up until then. But St. Andre, he was thoroughly convinced that Toffa's case was a stunning example of this theory. Maternal impression... It was very common, and the most used version of this belief was that if a baby was born with a cleft lip, it meant that the mother must had seen or been startled by the sight of a rabbit or hare, hence why the cleft lip was originally known as a hare lip. Even if the mother didn't remember having seen the rabbit, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Women weren't allowed to have opinions. You can't disagree on this matter even if it's your body back then. Well, I mean, kind of even now. Because, look, look, baby's got a hare lip. All right, rabbits aren't uncommon. You must you must have seen it. Must have seen it. Uh, and if you hadn't seen it, maybe you're thinking of one, or maybe you saw it in a dream. Look, we're talking about quality gaslight manipulation. And like, what? You're gonna disagree? All right, asylum for you, hysterical woman. Now, on November 29th, Toft was taken to a bathhouse in London to be observed further. There, Mary was examined frequently by as many as ten doctors at a time. All of them, of course, being men just surrounding her and just staring her down, waiting for her to give birth to something. However, she would no longer give birth to rabbits here, and instead she'd become quite ill. But it was also during this time that a porter was caught sneaking a rabbit into Toft's room. Toft, however, refused to confess until one of the doctors was like, Alright, fuck it. We'll perform surgery and cut you open to see if you got strange reproductive organs. Surprisingly to very little, Mary was like, yeah, okay, I'm folding you in. And this confession is um, kind of hilariously timed. Because Nathaniel St. Andre, the guy that was like, no, this is totally natural, and like took home one of the pickled rabbits, he had quite literally just published a promise to be true, an exciting expose called A Short Narrative of an Extraordinary Delivery of Rabbits, four days prior. Just Oof, get fucking wrecked, Nate. Dude, he shot his own career in the head. He would never 
recover from this. He will be eternally, from here on out, known as the disgraced Dr. St. Andre. <laughs> it's just like, bro, why, why didn't you just wait? Why didn't you just wait a few days? <laughs> However, three confessions of Mary Toft were taken down by Dr. James Douglas on the 7th, 8th, and 12th of December, 1726. Upon his death, they, along with a sizable body of other manuscripts and printed material relating to the Mary Toft incident, came into the hands of Douglas's friend and pupil, William Hunter. The records of confession, though taken down with diligence, can still be seen as incoherent, both from the context itself, as well as Douglas switching narratives, scribbling out words on his paper, and abbreviating things to his own understanding. You can find photos of the original manuscript online, as well as a few sites that have taken the time to type out the writings into text form. I'm going to be reading from Mary Toff's first confession now, which took place on December 7th, 1726. <clears throat> I will go no further. No, any longer thus I shall sooner hang myself. I was delivered of a true monstrous birth, Something came away with flooding after I had seen some rabbits which I longed for. Guts came away first. The same day the waters came as in your other labors, then a substance as big as my arm came away. The upper part of it was like a gut, and the other end as round as a fist. My mother opened it, and inside it was like an afterbirth. The flooding continued after above a week. Three weeks after the first flooding, I was took again with the flooding in the Hope Garden. Great pains all that day. And they that were with me worked their dinner hours that I might go sooner otherwise. I lost a penny for they'd worked f done for me. As soon as I could get out of the garden, another substance came away as I was sitting upon my knees, which without observing I was forced to throw away. It was two hours after that that I got home, though it was not above a quarter of a mile I was in so great pain. This flooding continued after 14th September, three days, and returned two days after I was going by the market houses. I was took there with such great pain that I was forced to go into a shop till it was over, and then I went home and desired my husband to send for his mother, who was a midwife, for I was in very bad. When I was in the house, a great pain came on me. I desired the pot for which our neighbor Mary Gill gave me, and with a great forcing pain, the guts and liver came into it, which she took up and showed to my mother. She showed it to all the women who were not able to make anything of it, but immediately putting it into a handle pot, they sent it to Dr. Howard at Guildford, who would not believe that it came from any woman, but that they had the mind to impose upon him. The next day he came to see her, sending a bottle of stuff to take presently, which I did which threw me into more pain than I had before, but before he came to my mother, delivered me of the trunk of the body, and some other pieces which you cannot tell the names of. I was in pain all night. He came in the morning and examining found nothing, but if he had been there when the trunk came, he could have brought away what he thought was behind. After he had stayed a few hours and finding nothing, he went away, and I was in pain the whole time. Next day he came back and took some things away, which he never had believed if he had not done it himself. And some hours after he brought more pieces away, for he stayed with me most of the day. He was gone, my mother brought several more pieces away that appeared dry and smelt strong, as they said. He took some of the feet, and the mother took others, and even the neighbors, when she was out of the way, took some more away. For one fourteen night, after Mr. Howard came up something still coming, I was in pain, I was in pain all the time, and not able to go across the chamber. Two days after that night, was out one foot came with another great pain. 
My mother felt something in reach and said that every pain would bring it forward. About 10 at night, Mr. Howard was sent for because my mother was not able to bring anything out. But in the meantime, pains growing stronger, she took the under the jaws away. Mr. Howard came about four next morning, who took away both sides of the cheek and the skull. He saw that there was nothing more to come away but the neck, after he had looked all the pieces carefully over all the things he had put in spirits and left them with me. The next day, after a mother, after my mother left, a woman whom I don't know if I was to be put to death or who would come down to fetch my brother who did live with me, but was not then at home, to inquire if he could not turn a grindstone, for she would give him three pence for one hour, for she was told at her lodgings that he would do such a thing. John Denyer was my brother's name. I told her where she might find him, but missing of him, she came back to me, and there I was in great pain. She asked me if I was in labor, or what else was the matter with me, and I told her all that had happened, and she desired to see all that had come away from me. But she also said she must have some money. She brought me several rabbits before I could give her any money. I gave her half a crown once at Goldman, and two half crowns at Guildford. When she had seen all she said, I need not to be afraid, for she could tell me what I could do to get so good a living that I should never want for as long as I lived. I asked what that was, and she told me that she would get a rabbit. I asked what I was to do with it, and she told me that I should put it up into my body. And I told her that such a thing could not be done, but she said it could, and she desired to try. She fetched a rabbit which was a little bigger than the siding, siddling of a rabbit of a 14-year-old. She stripped it wholly and tried to put it up whole, which I told her I was not able to bear it. It was like to kill me, and that I would not do it. Then she pulled out again, and she would cut it. She cut it with her scissors, and screwed the bones around, having cut it into two pieces only. Then she put the first part up, and upon examining again, found it would hold the other part, which also she likewise put, and desired her to keep it as long as I could, and then sent for Mr. Howard. It put me in such great pain, that I could not walk one way, nor another, nor even stand up. I sent the same day to Mr. Howard who came and took all the way to first look at the two pieces and then the skin which had been thrust up first. He said he'd never seen anything like this in his whole life. He put them in the spirits and left them with me and sent me something to make me sleep. The next day she came back and would put up another. I told her I could not possibly bear it. She said I must put up as many rabbits or else the folks would mistrust. I asked how many that was, and she said she had ten, and some had thirteen. She said I must go through it now that I had begun, besides I was afraid that Mr. Howard would find out, and then I would surely be ruined. The next, she said, would not put me in so much pain, because she would cut it into several pieces, which I was to put up myself at several times when nobody was seeing me. She brought me the second that very day, broke it into several pieces, and desired me to put up one foot at a time and then I would never be mistrusted, and people would think they would come away in that manner. Some she brought in a pocket handkerchief, and some in a hog's bladder, which I commonly burnt, but sometimes, being in a great hurry, and afraid of being caught, I don't know, but I might have put some of the bladders at some time or another. I always, always just used myself to put up but one piece at a time, and whenever that was brought away, when I had time again and thought nobody would see, I slipped up another. So with Mary's confession, this uh, obviously only brought about more interest. And even though these questions weren't asked then, they certainly are now. Um, 
But let's try to understand, though, that just because these births themselves weren't real, Mary was still putting herself through very massive and real trauma. According to Mary's confession, the ruse relied on an accomplice placing parts of dead animals inside of her, which is obviously painful, difficult, and extraordinarily dangerous. According to the now-disgraced St. Andre's report, Mary Toff's rabbits were often delivered with their sharp nails still intact, and often these animals would be stuffed inside Mary and kept there for days, possibly weeks. The fact that she didn't die of some horrific putrid infection is like actually mind-blowing. It, it, it's hard to say exactly why she would do this. You know, we don't simply want to attribute this to a weird few months or like a prolonged mental breakdown, but more so like how bad does shit in a society have to be that someone's putting themselves through this in a time where peasants were a thing and women were even lower uh, rabbits. They were all over the place and they actually symbolized in a way the carelessness of nobility. In medieval Britain, rabbits lived in warrens built by local lords who sold their meat and fur as elite goods. But a lot of times, these lords of rabbits, they would escape and ransack commoners' grasslands and gardens. So you're you're already a peasant. You're already doing backbreaking labor. And now some rich fucks animals are getting in there and eating everything. Karen Harvey addresses this in her papers and offers that the reason Mary might have used rabbits so often could be a political standpoint since the richer people of rabbits were adding so much to her daily hardships. However, when the hoax was revealed, the papers had a field day, becoming not only a year-long sensation of courtroom discourse, but attacking all the doctor professionals who had taken part in the ruse. On December 9th, Mary was charged as a notorious and vile cheat and incarcerated at Bridewell Prison for four months. Which, honestly, for the time, is way more lenient than I'd expected. Like, going into this, I kind of figured this was going to end in some brutal death of some kind. Some sort of front to the Lord kind of nonsense. Uh, I mean, crowds of people still came to gawk at her because she had a public-facing cell, which is a bad time. But, after uh, those four months, she was released without incident. And she basically just disappeared into from any spotlight, just into obscurity. When she died in 1763 at the age of 60, the parish noted her as Mary Toff, widow, the imposterous rabbit. Since then, Mary has inspired artworks, criticisms of medical practices, and studies about enduring hardships. This was someone who was beaten with poverty and could have been tricked into seeing this as a way out or maybe just a desperate attempt at relevancy. But Mary wanted to be remembered, and even though she may have been tricked into doing something horrific, it was still a way to scream out against the void and say, remember me, no matter the cost. And Mary Toft, here we are, 260 years later, on platforms you couldn't even imagine. And we remember you. Remember your life. We remember where you were born. We remember where you were died. And, and, and yeah, we remember those wild few months, but that great void didn't win, Mary. Your memory is still here. You're still with us. And with that, I'll see you guys next Monday. <laughs>